Charlottesville today, um, and then heading up to Bethesda tomorrow. Right. So I'm gotcha. in. I'm in Seville for now. You're in Seville. All right. There we go. So Matt's in Seville, hanging out. We're here on a Thursday morning. Um, I had a fun little work thing last until 9:30 last night, uh, and I want to say fun, but it wasn't. Uh, you know, we had uh, a big head honcho in from corporate who was uh, taking up our sweet time, but then she treated us to drinks, so it's okay. I'll forgive her for now. But uh, Matt, how's it going? It's pretty good, you know, bright and early, but um, yeah. I actually got out of bed 25 minutes ago, so I think I got ready in record time today. Oh, yeah, good. there we go. So That's now nice. I'm rolling, I got a podcast, and starting the day off right, so can't Love complain. It. Starting off the day with the pod. Well, we're also starting off the day with our first NBA topic in forever, maybe. Yeah, like <laughs> you a know, month. It, it's been, yeah, it's been at, least, at the very least several weeks, probably a month since we last talked basketball. But while the while the Los Angeles Clippers are bringing in ghosts of LeBron's past, you know, hiring Ty Lue as the top assistant head uh, assistant coach, uh, the Lakers are over there sitting with quite the problem on their hands, especially after Demarcus Cousins uh, tore his ACL, uh, bumped knees with someone down in Vegas while they were doing a kind of Lakers team practice, uh, just getting acclimated with everyone, and now the Lakers are stuck looking at JaVale McGee as their starting center. And real no depth behind him at that position, and and so now we've we're hearing all the names. Uh, Memphis, the Memphis Grizzlies have offered uh, Dwight Howard to be available to go and speak with the Lakers to see if there's something there. They've also they're also doing private workouts with Dwight, or sorry, they're with Dwight Howard, Joe Kim Noah, and Maurice Spates. Uh, so definitely some very interesting names on that list. Um, Matt. What is the best option for the Lakers to go about this center position? And is there a guy that isn't on that list of three, maybe, that you would throw in there? Or is that kind of the bunch that they're stuck with? Well, it's definitely not Anthony Davis. Uh, He has come out and said that he's not interested whatsoever in playing center. Uh, So the Lakers are kind of left scrambling here, although it is a bit of their fault. You know, they go into this season with DeMarcus Cousins, who obviously has had injury issues over the past couple years limited to just uh, 30 games a season, 48 last year. So hasn't really been able to stay healthy uh, and really hasn't been, you know, the all-star quality player that we, you know, thought was coming after he left the Kings uh, since 2016-17 when he was traded to New Orleans prior to uh, injuring his knee and missing the rest of the season there. Uh, And that kind of just set him on the path that he's on now. Uh, Obviously, you know, the, the Lakers... With the two superstars that they had, they didn't have a whole lot of options uh, for filling out the center position. They had to go with what they got, and and DeMarcus Cousins had the upside, but given his injury history, you'd like to have seen them maybe add a little bit more depth outside of JaVale McGee, uh, who last year was forced into that starting role uh, for the first time in uh, a while, averaging 12 points per game for the first time in his career, and he still really didn't put put together a 
necessarily outstanding performance uh, throughout the season. So JaVale McGee is not a starting caliber center. They're going to need somebody else uh, to get in that rotation with him. Uh, I, I like some of the players that they're looking at right now, but the thing is, are they going to be able to convince them to come on a such a small deal, given that they have to pay them the minimum? I could see Dwight Howard being interested in that, maybe most Bates. Uh, but Marcin Gortat, I, I just don't know if he'd be willing to come from overseas, as has mm-hmm. been rumored. Uh, they're interested in getting uh, just for a minimum contract now. If, if Gortat's really interested in title racing, which is you know what the Warriors have been doing over the past couple years and trying to convince stars, hey, you join our team, there's a good chance you win a title. The Lakers can pull something like that too. Um, but at the same time, you know this is a league where players are paid for you know uh, millions and millions of dollars, and that's what they're used to getting. And some players aren't willing to step back from that, uh, even if it does mean being on one of the top teams in the West. Right, and Dwight Howard, fortunately, you, you know, the way he can kind of look at this is he right now he's in Memphis, definitely a rebuilding team, and he's making $5 million. So, you know, it, it, whether Memphis has to chew some of that and maybe the Lakers pay, you know, two and a half if they split it or whatever they work out, um, and then maybe, you know, the Lakers can send back some draft capital, second-round picks, things like that, that would probably be the best situation um, because, yeah, Dwight Howard gets to go into a winning situation, not make the minimum. And the Lakers would only have to pay him the minimum if they do send, you know, the, you know, whatever draft capital it takes to bring back. But the the really thing, and and this is the first thing that you said, and this makes me so furious. I don't understand it. Is is why Anthony Davis is so adamant of not playing the center position because he's just he could be one of the best centers, or he would probably, yeah, he'd be the best center in the league. Like I'm fully convinced that you know whether power forward or center, he's the best big man. Um, most talented, definitely, and I think at the center position, there's such a there's such an opportunity to create mismatch, especially with his shooting ability. Um, I, I guess his reasoning is the physicality of of defending other top centers. He doesn't want that wear and tear on his body. But I don't know for for a guy his age. I know he's had injury history before. This the the, the way the team is structured, it just makes sense for him to be at the center because there are essentially like five power forwards on the team. You can't start LeBron, Kyle Kuzma, and Anthony Davis at the power forward position. It just can't work like that. So, you know, Anthony Davis is going to play the power forward. Maybe that's, you know, situationally and maybe most of the time he slides over to center. Um, Because really, I feel like that way you're able to optimize, you know, the best starting five lineup, whether, you know, that's, you know, point guard LeBron James with Danny Green beside him, you know, maybe uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope and Kyle Kuzma at the forwards, and then you go Anthony Davis at the five. I really just don't think, um, you know, not to discredit any of these centers, um, you know, I do believe JaVale. He's been serviceable as a starter. He started for, you know, a stretch in Golden State, too. So, you know, it, but he's not he, hes not anything that you would want on a title-contending team as, God, your fourth best option. Um, I'm not sure where he kind of lines up talent-wise on that starting five. But um, Dwight Howard makes the most sense just because of the money that he'll still be able to make given the fact that he's under contract and he'll be looking for a better situation. Um, the Joe Kim Noah one is interesting to me because after he, you know, made his massive deal with the Knicks, uh, moved on to Memphis, he actually had a pretty good rebound season with the Grizzlies this past year and maybe kind of put himself in a better situation. But now we're sitting and and finding out where he is going to play this next year. Um, so, you know, Dwight Howard and Joe Kim Noah make the most sense to me, but you know, I, I really just comes down to, I just can't believe Anthony Davis won't just slide over to the center position for this upcoming season. 
Yeah, I mean, what you're saying about make about AD makes a lot of basketball sense. Certainly, uh, it would allow them to be flexible with their lineup. They go a little bit smaller, but you know that certainly with some player of AD's caliber, you're not worried about that. But at the same time, Davis has been kind of leading the Lakers on ever since he was uh, acquired, saying that he's not sure what he's going to be doing in the future. Hasn't indicated that he's committed to the Lakers beyond this season. Yeah. After the Lakers threw their entire franchise at him. Uh, he's still, you know, being a bit of a diva about it, honestly, and he's in a, a position where he can. P- players in the league uh, have never had more power than they do right now, and their ability mm-hmm. to force a trade uh, is evident, uh, especially in Davis himself. Uh, so he's, you know, not backing down from that. And if he says he doesn't want to play center, you as a team, after all what you gave up to get him, you might have to uh, listen yeah. to him in that regard and try to find a way to not have to play him at center. Now, it, maybe you, you bring in a guy or two and by midseason it's not working and you say, listen, if we want to win a title this year, this is the roster we got. We need you to help out here. I think he's willing to do that. But at the same time, if we're going into the year and they're saying, we don't care what you want, Anthony Davis, you're going to play center. He's yeah. going to be kind of pissed about that. And, you know, uh, these days you really don't know what's going to sway him one way or the other. It seemed like he always wanted to go to L.A., but he's just not mm-hmm. committing right now. So uh, if you're the Lakers, you're going to give Anthony Davis what you want. And that means going to the open market, looking at these other guys. Uh, Dwight Howard, interesting enough because he had such a poor relationship with the team last time when he left. Um, he, of course, played for the Lakers yeah. <laughs> way back that 2012-2013 season. Oh, what a what a group! And him and yeah. Kobe ultimately ended up not liking each other. Kobe called him soft the following season, uh, and Howard has subsequently bounced around and watched his play diminish. Ultimately, uh, playing only nine games last year with a buttocks injury uh, hmm. that just seemed to keep on lingering. Uh, his Wizards era, not very long, admittedly, um, yeah. surrounded by some off the court stuff too. Um, so it just. He, you know, entering his age 34 season, you're not sure how much you're going to get out of Howard at this point. Um, he's not the guy you'd be wanting to roll in uh, as a starting center. I think Noah makes a lot more sense if you can convince him to play on a minimum deal. Um, he obviously, like you said, a terrible tenure with the Knicks. Um, not necessarily a high-volume point scorer, um, but, you know, has racked up the rebounds in his time. Uh, certainly fits that role. Of course, 6'11", 230. Uh, built like a center, you know, you just kind of need some guys with the height uh, to come in there. Um, you know, you're not going to need to rely on your center necessarily to be uh, a be-all, end-all guy in the, in the paint simply because you're going to have LeBron in the post, you're going to have AD in the post. You know, you're going to be able to, to work around it where really they're just going to be a rim protector, um, mm-hmm. somebody who can, you know, fill space in the middle of the court. So uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily bullish on Howard uh, after seeing what he did in D.C. and um, necessarily, you know, he hasn't been at that kind of level that bringing a guy with that stature in might require. Um, right. Because, you know, Howard's going to come in with lots of question marks and just lots of headlines. He's somebody who uh, obviously was on a Hall of Fame track. Not sure necessarily necessarily if he is a Hall of Famer. That's definitely up for debate. But uh, he was among the best centers in the league for a long time. Uh, certainly when he was in Orlando, you know, making a name for himself, kind of had the trajectory that DeMarcus Cousins had um, and that, you know, played on a team that really wasn't necessarily going too far into the playoffs. Uh, and then he comes and gets traded and starts getting injury prone, starts having issues. Um, so, you know, not necessarily the 
the trajectory that you want, this, this, the, the storylines that you want entering this yeah. team uh, with all the drama that you could have already. Guys like Anthony Davis and uh, LeBron have had so much media attention around them the past year that, you know, adding Howard to the mix, I don't know if that's the best idea. Hmm. Um, but uh, I, I like I like Noah. Um, I, I like Gortat. Um, you know, Gortat, if he can be convinced, uh, was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, the Polish Hammer. Can't get any better than that. Uh, in most spades, I feel like that's a candidate uh, for sure, where if they strike out with the other guys, he would definitely take a minimum deal and play for the Lakers. So uh, right. at worst, it looks like it seems like we're looking at one of those four guys uh, to come in at least one, maybe two uh, mm-hmm. at this point. Um, because, you know, outside of Noah, they really don't have center depth at all. So, you know, maybe it is a good idea to bring not just one, but two of these guys in. Yeah, and and, and going back to something you were talking about earlier with Anthony Davis, uh, you know, being kind of a diva since he arrived in LA. He honestly what what I notice and, and I have one very small complaint about LeBron James in general. I don't I don't really have many qualms with him, but it's this one thing and honestly Anthony Davis is just taking a page out of the LeBron book and he's just being mm-hmm. every year he's saying, I don't know how long I'm committed because that puts pressure on the front office to do as much as they can to make sure that the team is always staying competitive. I mean he you know LeBron did that in Cleveland uh, his second time around where it seemed like every year it was like he could opt out. He's going to LA, he's a free agent, all this stuff like that. And so now they're in this they're in Los Angeles together and LeBron is kind of just teaching Anthony Davis the way to make sure that, you know, the team that he's on is always staying, you know, extremely competitive. But the only problem with him being a diva about his position is that's not the best way I think like for the team to be set up to succeed. And we already hashed this out and, and agree that it most likely makes sense for him to, you know, move to center. So that's the one thing that I don't think he's getting right with being a diva. Um, of course, you know, saying that I don't know what I'm going to do beyond the season makes sure that the Lakers front office knows that they have to do everything they can to, to put a winning team out there to keep AD around and keep LeBron around. But if the best way for that team to win is at center, maybe all it will take. And, and what I most likely think will happen, they bring in one of these guys you know, whether it's Dwight, Joe Kim, Mo Spates, Gortat, and uh, and they quickly realize that the team is, you know, there are guys on the bench not getting great minutes because Anthony Davis is taking up a forward position. And then maybe we're halfway through the season or towards the end of the season ramping up to the postseason where he finally makes that full-time switch to center. I feel like that just is most likely what we're going to see happen. Um, and I think, you know, you know, we'll hopefully pop into Anthony Davis's mind that, you know, that's the best way to structure this team to build a title contender. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out, but it's definitely not the not the best start for the Lakers in this post-era. I mean, you know, they get AD, uh, they keep Kyle Kuzma, they're keeping LeBron back, but then the Clippers go out and they make all these great moves and they fill out one of the most deep rosters in the league, have a great coaching staff in place, great ownership as well. And meanwhile, all we've got with the Lakers is, you know, DeMarcus Cousins' injury. Uh, We've got, you know, still some tension in the front office. Uh, You know, what is the role of Magic Johnson? Um, There was a rumor that he was talking to Kawhi during, you know, free agency. Um, So uh, we've just gotten Lakers' mess while the Clippers seem to be doing everything right. So it's not the ideal start for the Lakers, but it'll be... Interesting to see how this all plays out at the center position, and if we get to see, uh, you know, Dwight Howard uh, put on his uh, purple and gold Lakers jersey yet again. Well, you know, when we're talking about Jeannie Buss and Rob Palenka, there's drama, no matter yeah. what. 
Um, you know, we, a lot of people forget that this past season was a train wreck for the Lakers, and obviously getting AD can make all of that go away. Nobody's ever going to remember last season uh, if the Lakers go on and win a title this year with this superstar duo, but this was a team that was just surrounded by a lot of controversy, a lot of uh, power struggles. Obviously, the, the, the big ESPN article came out that kind of showed the rifts between all the major players in L.A., and, you know, Obviously, they make this big move, but they sacrificed a lot of their future to make this move. They need to follow it up with solid yeah. moves uh, to surround these stars uh, with quality players. I like the Danny Green signing a lot. I mean, obviously, it was a pivot from signing Kawhi, um, consolation prize, if you will. But you know, Danny Green is a pretty damn good consolation prize, a two-time NBA champion. You bring him in there. You have guys like Avery Bradley, tremendous defender, Jared Dudley, uh, who can stretch the floor. I'm. I think there's a quality group in this Lakers depth chart. I just, you know, obviously center is a big question mark now because I was I was a little um, skeptical of Rob Palenka's ability to to actually, you know, follow through. He got the the star player, but could he make the next couple moves? I think he did make some solid moves uh, for this team entering the season, and obviously they were rolling the dice with Cousins, and now that's really coming back to bite them. Um, they should have invested more in center, especially considering his injury history. But at the same time, you know, the Lakers. They really have high expectations this year, and you know, even more so than the Clippers. If they aren't, they don't reach you know the Western Conference Finals. This is oh, going yeah. to be a massively disappointing season. Obviously, the Lakers are. I mean, the, the Clippers, excuse me, are in that kind of same boat. Um, but the Clippers, you know, have been an up and coming team. They've had nothing but positive uh, news around the team the past couple years. Obviously, they bring in two superstars now to kind of complete uh, that roster. It's deep. It's got a lot, a lot of young guys. I'm really excited to see what they do. But, you know, everybody seems to be positive around them, whereas with the Lakers, it's just kind of like, well, you, you know, this better work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a lot of pressure on, on, on the Lakers, like you were saying. I, I completely agree. And, and uh, the fallout, the potential fallout is is, is going to be pretty bad if, if uh, things don't go according to plan next year. But, um you know, we're going to take things from the West Coast to the East Coast now. We're going to switch from the hardwood to the gridiron with our, what, fifth divisional preview. Yeah, Matt, so I think we're, we're over the halfway point, and we are getting so close. We've got the third week of preseason football coming up this uh, over the next several days. Maybe we'll see a majority of starters in the league, but, I, I mean, I don't believe so. I know the Colts have already come out and said that they only have very few starters actually playing in the third preseason game. seems to just be an overall trend of don't put your players in situations to get hurt. Uh, But we are going to take a look at the uh, NFC East this morning. For some reason, I had been planning for the AFC East, but I do have my NFC East stuff pulled up, fortunately enough. (coughs) But uh, a very interesting division, how it played out last season. Um, You know, with both uh, the Eagles and the Cowboys um, making the playoffs... And meanwhile, we had the Redskins start off with their hot streak and then get, you know, completely decimated by injuries. Of course, the Giants were probably one of the bigger shit shows in the league last year, finishing 5-11. and And that's actually where we are going to kick things off uh, with the last place team in the division. Up there in New York, there's two quarterbacks there that maybe have some talent. There's a running back that, may be, that might be the greatest in the league. And there's no Odell Beckham Jr., which is uh, very upsetting for this giant poster I have in my apartment. But um, maybe I'll spray paint the colors to uh, orange and brown. But, Matt, what's the biggest thing that sticks out to you about the Giants this year? 
Okay, well, obviously, Saquon is going to be Saquon. I don't think we really need to, to break that down necessarily. Uh, I, he's almost a guarantee at this point to rush for 1,000 yards, uh, impact back out of the backfield. Uh, he's going to be their number one bell cow back, no doubt about it. Quarterback, obviously, controversy there. They, they're talking about starting Eli. Daniel Jones has looked good in preseason. Um, you know, if Eli struggles, will Daniel Jones come in? I see all of that, but I really, what stands out to me is, is the receiving core and how thin it's going to be, especially at the start of the year. Golden Tate suspended for four games uh, for supposedly uh, performance-enhancing drugs. Now, he came out and said that he was trying a um, birth... Uh, yeah, he was trying to kind of get pregnant. Trying to get his wife pregnant. Um, yeah, yeah. And he realized... And he wasn't trying he to was, get He wasn't trying to get pregnant. That would mess up his football season. <laughs> Just a little bit. Um, but, you know, I feel for the guy, but, you know, you got to know what you put in your body. So he lost. He did not win the uh, appeal, so he'll be suspended for four games. Sterling Shepard already had a fractured thumb, appears to be practicing at full speed. Um, but they also lost Corey Coleman for the year with a torn ACL. So they're already stretched pretty thin, uh, even if Shepard comes in fully healthy at week one. Uh, we're going to see guys like Cody Latner, uh, Benny Fowler, Re- Russell Shepard um, as guys who will be in that rotation for receiver. I just don't know. Um, you know, With the trajectory that Eli's been on, we're not really going to be probably super impressed with the, what we see out of him in the first couple weeks of the year. And without Golden Tate uh, in that receiving core, you know, we really don't know what to expect. Uh, this is the first time Eli's throwing without uh, a star receiver, um, so unless you consider Sterling Shepard to be a star receiver. Uh, now that Odell's gone, you know Tate was supposed to fill that void a little bit. Um, you know, not to say that Golden Tate is Odell Beckham Jr., but uh, mm-hmm. I think filling the OBJ-sized hole in New York is going to be a lot harder than front office originally imagined. I don't think anyone expects his team to be competitive this year, but the wide receiving core is definitely something to watch. Yeah, certainly, and I'm going to stay on the offense. And the biggest thing for the Giants to me is how do they continue to you know grow on offensive line productivity? Um, you know, they brought in Will Hernandez last year. Uh, drafted him in the second round, put him at left guard, and he was set this past offseason. And part of their, uh, it was one of their deals with the uh, with the Cleveland Browns. They get Kevin Zeitler, putting him at right guard. Now they overpaid for Nate Solder, uh, and he was at left tackle. He wasn't awful, but that's three offensive linemen right there, and that's three offensive linemen that are you know exponentially better than um, than my man uh, over in Eric Flowers, who's now in Washington. Um, but so you, you know they've got. Two question marks, essentially, at right tackle and center. Uh, three offensive linemen that, that seem to be, um, at the very worst, you know, average starters in the league. I think Will Hernandez has a ton of upside, uh, especially playing next to Solder. Um, so, you know, building out the offensive line where we can, you know, see, you know, Eli and, and Daniel comfortable in the pocket, where we can open up some holes for Saquon, because last year, you know, last year he had an amazing rookie season, but he was doing really everything on his own. Um, so now to have some more offensive line help, um, I think that's going to be huge uh, for, you know, success in the run game and also trying to make sure that you protect <clears throat> whoever is under center. It is going to be Eli. I know the rookies, uh, I mean, the, the New York fan base has fallen in love with Daniel Jones already as, as you know, quickly as they were to hate him. Uh, they, they have fallen in love with his preseason uh, play um, and, and, you know, <clears throat> kind of a situation where we could all be proven wrong about Daniel Jones. But um, I think, you know, starting over, you know, the Giants are, are you know, starting over a fresh start and, you know, whether that takes in full effect next year when Daniel Jones is the quarterback and Eli's out or whenever that happens – you know, the, the first things you need to adjust are your play, 
your, your physicality up front, and for New York to already have three offensive linemen that I think are very um, are are good building blocks. I think that they're at least addressing you know one of the main priorities, which is the you know what was a horrendous offensive line. Yeah, and I, I want to highlight one guy in that group in particular, and that's Nate Solder. Um, you know, he comes in, signs that four-year, $62 million contract with the Giants after having a very successful tenure in New England, uh, a team that's known for building, uh, you know, offense, quality offensive linemen out of nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Soldier comes in and is supposed to be the guy now in New York, where in which case he wasn't really, didn't have to be that in New England. Uh, and he struggled to start the year for sure. But, you know, that kind of became the narrative with him was that he was being overpaid, you know, the highest paid blocker. Uh, in football that has since been surpassed. But at the time, he was you know, the highest paid offensive lineman in the NFL. Uh, and that came with high expectations. And he really was struggling. And that you know, kind of became the narrative with him. But he didn't allow a sack in the final six games, uh, including a game against the Bears when Khalil Mack uh, was on the other side of him. So uh, he certainly turned things around. He finished pro football focus, gave him a grade of 74.2. Um, which ranked 21st in the league uh, at the end of the year among offensive linemen. So uh, that's, or sorry, offensive tackles. So, you know, he was able to turn things around, but we're looking for a, a fantastic year out of him now. You know, he, he had that great stretch at the end of the year, but now, you know, he needs to prove that he can do it over a full season in New York, um, which mm-hmm. I'm very capable, uh, I think he's capable of doing. Yeah. Um, I'm interested to see kind of how he rebounds this year. Definitely. And, and my second point, you know, Everyone in the world has talked so much about the first uh, draft pick for the New York Giants, but I'm going to focus on their last two uh, first-round picks. Um, of course, at pick number uh, 17, they took defensive tackle Dexter Lawrence out of Clemson. Then they traded back up for the 30th pick uh, and took DeAndre Baker corner out of Georgia. And to me, you know, at the time of the draft, there were there were just better players at the position available at the time. Um, Jeffrey Simmons, who was taken two picks after Dexter Lawrence, another defensive tackle that only because of his injury concerns, he was a top five prospect in this class. Just injury-wise, dropped him down to 19. And, and for the Giants, you know that you're a team that is not contending this year. I would rather take the guy with with the upside of, and even his floor, I believe, even with the injury, I believe his floor is higher than Dexter Lawrence's. Um and honestly, the other thing with Dexter Lawrence, too, is he essentially plays the same position as Dalvin Tomlinson. And you want to have your defensive tackles to have different character traits so you can put both of them on the field at the same time. And so, you know, that's just going to be a real mess for them, I think, unless the plan is to move on from Dalvin Tomlinson. Um, but Dexter Lawrence definitely, you know, it not a bad player. I think he was definitely a first-round talent, but taking a guy you know, like Jeffrey Simmons, who has the upside to potentially be, you know, a, a top three guy in this draft class. Um, you just have to wait a year for him to get on the field, I feel like was a, a complete miss. And then there were a bunch of corners that I preferred over DeAndre Baker when they traded up at pick 30. I mean, Rocky Sin uh, out of Temple, who was taken in the second round. Uh, you know, he you had Trey. Rocky Sin. <laughs> he, he's, uh, I mean, also just the, one of the best football names out there. Uh, yes, but then for also, sure. you know, Byron Murphy out of Washington was available. Trayvon Mullen, uh, those even Greedy Williams, who was taken at 46 by Cleveland. People considered Greedy. He might be the best corner in this class. Uh, DeAndre Baker definitely doesn't have um, too many, you know, problems. I, I don't think he's a great man-to-man corner. Definitely a lot of zone out of him. Um, so in a division where you have to, you know, guard up on, I guess, 
you know, you've got Amari Cooper in Philadelphia. You've got some talented wide receivers. Washington, nothing really scares you. But you want some guys that can, you know, stick to the hip of, of the top wideout on the opposing team. And DeAndre Baker isn't that guy. And I think they kind of reached for him in that draft. So, you know, Daniel Jones, whatever he turns out to be, great. But I, I am concerned that they made, you know, the wrong moves at the end of the first round. You know, my we're, we're kind of on the same page, but not in what we're, the topics we're picking. Because I'm also highlighting Dexter Lawrence here. But oh. <laughs> I, I actually, I think that it was a, a pretty good pick. Um, obviously... He wasn't necessarily touted as a, a great pass rusher while he was at Clemson. Uh, maxed out at six and a half stacks his freshman year, then only two the year after, and one and a half the year after that. And <clears throat> you know, prior to the season, though, he was considered to be the top Clemson defensive lineman uh, entering the year. We were talking about having three potentially uh, offensive or defensive linemen from Clemson being drafted in the top five or six picks at that point. Obviously, Cleveland Farrell's uh, stock goes up. Christian Wilkins' stock goes up. Lawrence gets suspended. Uh, he, you know, for PEDs, I believe he misses two games uh, as a result of that. So his stock fell a little bit. And honestly, I think that's a bit of a steal at where they got them in the first round, uh, considering that we were looking at him as a top five talent prior to the year. Uh, you know, all he did was get older. He's built 6'4", uh, 342 pounds. I'm... I don't think that he's necessarily a slam dunk pick, but I think he's a raw prospect. Uh, it reminds me of what the Saints did with Marcus Davenport last year. Obviously, Dexter Lawrence is not from a small school. Small school. He's a huge dude. He went to Clemson, uh, played in, in, in the competitive ACC. But at the same time, he's definitely a prospect that could use some work. The Giants aren't expected to be good this year. Uh, Lawrence can get a lot of playing time. Try to you know be that number one guy on the defense. I'm not necessarily sold on anybody else up front uh, yeah. on this uh, defensive line. So I think that there's an opportunity for Lawrence to really become a superstar here. Uh, he just has to take advantage of the opportunity. And you know whether or not you believe that is certainly up for debate. But I I mm-hmm. think that you know he's just such a raw prospect with, with huge huge talent um, that if he can harness it, I, I'm fully believe that he can be a very quality defensive tackle slash D end. Yeah, yeah. My biggest thing is just that. I mean, so first, he is just a D tackle at three forty two. You got to put him on the inside, and the problem is, is that he does everything that probably one of your most talented defensive players does. And and you, it's tough to have two defensive tackles on the field that are both you know three twenty plus with not great speed. Um, you know, Dalvin Tomlinson is essentially Dexter Lawrence. I, I saw there was um. Oh, I'm trying to forget. I forget what news. Uh, what um, media site put this out, but the pro comp for Lawrence was Dalvin Tomlinson. And and if you could have a unique D-tackle combination where you've got a guy like Jeffrey Simmons who is a little bit different, um, I, I don't think Lawrence is a bad pick at all. I just think it was a bad pick for the Giants because they already have a guy that does what he does and also is still young. You know, Dalvin Tomlinson is only 25 years old. You took him a couple of years ago uh, in the second round, and he turned out to be a, a good pick. So I just, I think. But it's is confusing. he necessarily the, the the star caliber defensive tackle that maybe they're hoping that Dexter Lawrence can be? I would say no. I mean, Dalvin well, Thompson has been able to stay healthy. That's been huge, but he isn't a huge massive pass rusher. Obviously, as a D tackle, you're not necessarily expecting him to no. uh, rush the quarterback all that much. But in, in a, a league where you know, they're running a 3-4 defense. They need that D-tackle, nose-tackle player uh, to be a force up the middle. Well, they need somebody who maybe has a little bit more upside than Thompson. Well, they Thompson. actually they, they go they go 4-2-5 uh, most of the time and 4-3. So that's the problem is that they've got 
you know, a four down front. And so you need two defensive tackles that do different things. And that's un- that's where it's just not going to make sense because having all that weight out there in the middle, you're losing a ton of speed. And a guy like, you know, I, I understand maybe if you wanted to think that the Giants were going to be contenders and that they wanted these three first-round draft picks to put them into the playoffs, then yeah, I wouldn't, you know, want to waste my time on Simmons who isn't available until 2020. But I, I, I just feel like they've failed to recognize that they are a, a, a bad team heading into this year and, and could have prioritized, um, you know, some draft picks in other ways. Yeah, we'll see. All right, yeah. what's your what's your uh, schedule take here, Blake? Yeah, I mean, just tough games throughout. Um, you know, nothing is really – they get a couple early weeks, um, two through four, where they play the Bills, the Bucks, and the Redskins. Um, they, they have tough – you know, the, the division is just tough. You know, Philadelphia, Dallas playing them twice – Weeks 12 and 13, you have to play the Packers and the Bears. You have to play the Vikings, and then you also have to play the New England Patriots on week 6. That is a Thursday night game. Um, yeah, the, the schedule, like, it isn't bad. You know, there is a clump week 12 through 14 where they go at Chicago, home against Green Bay, at Philadelphia. That's a, <clears throat> that's a tough stretch to go through. But, you know, I, I don't expect, you know, I'm not expecting a ton from the Giants this year. So their schedule, it's it's... Difficult. They do have some easy games, but uh, I'm not expecting a ton. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm looking at three and thirteen for this year. Yeah. Um, for the Giants, I just don't think that they have uh, nearly enough depth uh, at several positions across the roster. Whether that be offense, defense, um, especially receiver, I think you know it's just going to be such a gaping hole. Uh, I don't know if Sterling Shepard, even if he is healthy, can step up and be that number one guy. And you know, hopefully, when they get Tate back. You know that'll be a boost for the offense, but you know you have to you have to have faith in some combination of Eli Manning and Daniel Jones. And you know as things stand right now, I can't say that I do. Yeah, no, it's definitely you know a rebuilding year, and they do have some positions they need to fill out. The offense, what's it going to look like with Eli Manning under center? Maybe he can have a good year. Maybe halfway through the season, they actually do decide to flip to Daniel Jones. Uh, who knows? But I do believe that they're at the bottom of this division, or at least around the bottom of the division. I've got them finishing again at 5-11 and 11, uh, this year. I do think they have winnable games against teams like Miami, Arizona. They could probably split with Washington. They play the Bucks. Uh, I think there's enough games in there to sneak by to five wins, but that's really just staying in the same position they were last year. Now they just don't have Odell Beckham Jr. on their team. All right, well, moving on, we've got the Redskins, uh, the team that... You know, obviously got off to a strong start last year. I believe they were seven and two um, prior to uh, going downhill. The Alex Smith injury obviously derails their season, uh, and they're now left uh, with trying to find a new quarterback. They draft Dwayne Haskins, and I'm just going to roll right into it, Blake. If that's cool mm-hmm. with you, yeah, go right um, ahead. I think this this quarterback room. You know, Colt McCoy appears to be. Uh, the number one guy, but he's injured right now, likely won't be ready for uh, the opener. So I would be surprised uh, if we do end up seeing uh, Haskins starting week one. I think Case Keenum is going to get that nod. Um, But at the same time, you know, I think what really, you know, comes down to it is Jay Gruden, uh, who's, if any coach is on the hot seat this year, it's Gruden uh, entering this season. And which is, you know, kind of harsh because, losing Alex Smith, your franchise quarterback, uh, who they were playing well with prior to his injury, um, kind of derails their season last year. And to say that, you know, you need to figure this out um, in one year 
that's a, it's a tough task, you know, for anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Haskins early th- earlier than a lot of people are speculating because, you know, he if he feels that Haskins gives him a best chance to win and secure his job for the future, he's going to start Haskins. You know, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, Haskins needs to sit on the bench and develop. Gruden doesn't give a fuck about that. I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> but it's true. You know, he he's trying to protect his job, um, and Haskins is, is might be the best chance of doing it. You know, you don't know how much Case Keenum or Colt McCoy is really going to give you uh, as a starting quarterback. But I think Haskins, he looked raw. He definitely, you know, had to, I watched his first preseason game. Uh, he threw two picks, um, showed some flashes for sure, has mm-hmm. a great deep ball. Oh, man. You, yes, when he airs he that out, when he airs that out, holy crap. Um, I'm excited to see what he does once he finally gets acclimated to the NFL. It just looks like it's all moving very quickly for him right now. So he needs to kind of you know settle in, figure out his progressions, that kind of thing, before they really throw him into game action. But I think we could see him earlier than a lot of people think. Oh, yeah, definitely. But my, my big concern is who the hell is he going to throw to when he's, <laughs> when he's back there? Because this wide receiving core is, is atrocious. Do, uh, Josh Doxson, Paul Richardson... Um, Jordan Reed is there if he's healthy, but we need to see him play, you know, a, a full 16 games. Hell, I'll take 12 games even if he can do that. But that's just such a, a bad situation. We were talking, you know, the Giants and even how with Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate suspended, Evan Ingram at tight end, we were like, yeah, that's not great, but this is atrocious in Washington. And if you have quarterbacks that aren't, you know, essentially great or are trying to uh, develop like Haskins is in his rookie season, you're not really giving him a ton of options. Um, of course, the run game with Adrian Peterson, Darius Geis, and Chris Thompson is going to be deep, so there will be a lot of, um, I guess, a lot of uh, you know pressure on the run game to kind of make things easier for Dwayne Haskins and to open things up. But you know, you know, with with a good run game or not, in a, in a healthy offensive line or not, I just don't see. Uh, any success in this wide receiving core because you know the talent just isn't there and I feel like that's going to play a huge role into uh, the success that these quarterbacks can have. Yeah, it is definitely a, a weaker group, but on the defensive side, they make a big splash as well. They sign Landon Jimmy Collins. Moreland. Oh, oh. <laughs> Jimmy Moreland definitely involved. <laughs> uh, we're going to be seeing a lot of him this year. If you don't know Jimmy Moreland's name yet, you will soon. Uh, a former Duke coming in uh, as a seventh-round pick with the Redskins, making a lot of waves in camp, had a fantastic game against the Browns uh, in the week one of the preseason. So he looks like, uh, I don't want to say locked to make the roster, but 99.9% sure, yeah. uh, which for a seventh-round pick is never a guarantee. So um, he's been killing it. But who I want to talk about is Landon Collins, uh, the big get for this offseason, six years, $84 million, uh, with the Redskins, a massive deal uh, as a strong safety you know, they're bringing him in to be uh, a force in that secondary after some controversy uh, in their at their safety position last year. Obviously, you know, it, it kind of didn't go the way they thought it would. They had the haha Clinton Dix experiment. Uh, DJ Swanger gets cut uh, just all over the place um, with that secondary. They're hoping Landon Collins kind of settle things down. Uh, only 25 years old, a three-time Pro Bowler. Uh, you know, he looks to be in the prime of his career. This, I think, it's a great signing for the Skins. Uh, mm-hmm. And if there's a position you want to invest in, you know, they already have Josh Norman locked up at the cornerback position. Who I don't know if I'm willing to consider Josh Norman a number one cornerback anymore. Um, but I definitely think that Landon Collins helps. You know, give him some slack. Uh, you know, getting beat deep. Yeah, so, so as you talk about the big addition, and I think that is a big addition too, you went out and made sure that you had that safety uh, you know, net locked up. I'm going to take a look at their biggest loss, and that's Trent Williams, who 
you know, has made it very, very, very clear that he is not coming back to play in Washington. Um, you know, he's dealt with injuries the last several years, and the Washington medical staff and the training staff has kind of gone in flames. And now everyone's reporting just how awful it is there, and how they're not, you know, doing a good job to make their play, make sure their players are in the best position to uh, to stay healthy and conditioned and rehabilitate injuries. And so. Now you're in a situation where Eric Flowers, who is kind of become the laughing stock of the NFL, now has to be the left tackle uh, for the Redskins. Although I do believe the Redskins, now that I'm thinking about it, Donald Penn signed with them. So I think they're going to slide uh, Eric Flowers into guard. So sorry about that. But Eric Flowers will be at left guard. Donald Penn uh, coming in to play left tackle. Um, but Trent Williams is, is, is up there as one of the, the best left tackles in football. If not, you know, I'd say in that top three consideration. Um, a, a tremendous talent, definitely paid, but he just doesn't want to be in a situation where he gets hurt again and Washington screws it up. So, you know, figuring out how they're going to, you know, protect the blind side of both of these young quarterbacks in, in Colt McCoy, I guess he's not young anymore, but um, <laughs> making sure that yeah, he, Colt McCoy is just a guy that I always feel like will be in his rookie season because we only see like six games of him. So it'll yeah. be like today is Colt McCoy's like 13th start and it's like he's 35. Um <laughs> but but I just think you know it's it's um it's a huge downgrade from from uh, Trent Williams and so how they're going to manage that along with the fact that um you know the rest of the offensive line has had trouble staying uh, healthy and Eric Flowers is also starting on that offensive line at guard maybe that's the big change he needed uh, to not be a tackle but I highly doubt it uh, definitely not feeling confident about the offensive line play no certainly and. There's a lot of eyes on that running back group this year, too, namely Darius Geis, uh, who's coming in after tearing his ACL last year. It looks like he's going to be playing uh, in in the third preseason game against the Falcons this weekend, Uh, so he'll finally get back on the field for some game action. Uh, You know, he came into last year with some high expectations, um, looking to be uh, their number one guy. Obviously, he gets hurt, and they have to bring in Adrian Peterson, the ageless wonder. Um, but none of those guys really jump out to me as pass catchers. Obviously, they have Chris Thompson, uh, who only catches passes, doesn't really run between the tackles. But you know, you like to have your your lead back if it's going to be Geis or it's going to be Peterson. You know, add some kind of element in the passing game as well. Neither of them really do that. Um, and I'm interested to see how they work in Thompson. We're really going to see, I think, a true running back by committee uh, situation in Washington this year uh, mm-hmm. between those three guys. And Samaj P. Ryan is also involved. Yeah. Uh, Bryce Love was drafted. Um, so, you know, they've got, a, they've got a deep running back room, just nobody who really uh, stands out as far as this season goes, just purely looking at the right. season. You could argue that Geis is going to have a fantastic career. You could mm-hmm. say Bryce Love is going to have a fantastic career, but I don't think in 2019, you know, you talk all the, all the time about how an ACL tear is a two-year recovery uh, injury. You know, he's going to have to kind of ease into things this year. He's not going to be a bell cow type back, but if he puts yeah. in the potential, you know, shows the flashes potential, maybe they look at him to do that next season. But as far as 2019 goes, you know, I don't have a whole lot of high expectations for any one particular guy in that group. Right, and as far as I know, I remember reading that Geist did actually end up with a hamstring problem, nothing severe, but they are shutting him down for the preseason just to make sure he's healthy by the regular season. So something to definitely watch and monitor. But if if fully healthy, that running back group is is tremendous and definitely the most probably the deepest uh you know position group on this roster um you know looking at their schedule um their first eight weeks are pretty tough and specifically their first five they go at philadelphia home against dallas home against the bears 
Uh, they do have a game against the Giants week four, but divisional matchup, uh, you know, should be interesting. And then week five, they play against the Patriots. Week seven and eight, they've got games against the 49ers and the Vikings. Um, you know, it's it's kind of like what I was saying with uh, with the Giants. I mean, I don't expect the Redskins with all of the stuff that has transpired since last season and the hot start that they had and how quickly it fell. Um, I don't think that, you know, I'm expecting a ton out of Washington, but their schedule definitely doesn't do them any favors with tough games like that. You know, even if you get to week 11, and, and actually week 9 and 11 as well, you know, two teams in the Bills and the Jets that are seem to be on the rise, and we'll talk about them next week. Um, you know, what are those teams looking like by the midpoint of the season? Is Carolina by week 13, you know, pushing for a playoff spot? Uh, there's There's not a ton of easy opportunities for the Redskins on this schedule. No, and I think the 49ers game is one to highlight, too. You know, you don't really know what we're going to see out yeah. of San Francisco this year. Uh, team we'll get to, you know, eventually. But, you know, they, with Jimmy G, if they're rolling, that's going to be a tough matchup as well. I'm going to go 5-11 and 11, uh, for the Redskins this year. I, you know, I, I think that they are in the middle of a rebuild, for sure. I mean, you know, you lose your quarterback, you bring in a rookie, you have a, a crowded QE room with veterans. I think that that is a... a Pretty clear-cut uh, rebuild, as, as much as Jay Gruden might try to tell you otherwise. Um, so, you know, 5-11 and 11 isn't necessarily a rebuilding record, and that's because I think there is some talent on that roster, but the loss of Trent Richardson is huge. Uh, they have a lot of holes in offense. Nobody really stands out necessarily as a playmaker that you're going to have, even if Haskins does come in and do well. You know, who is he going to be throwing the ball to? Who's he going to be handing the ball off to? You don't really know who's mm-hmm. going to be his most reliable options just yet, and so it's hard to predict, predict them doing much better. So I'm going to go with 5-11. and 11. Yeah, I'm, I agree with you. I'm going 5-11. and 11. To me, this team is at least two games worse than they were last year, just given all the question marks, you know, not having Alex Smith under center and then moving on anew with, you know, Dwayne Haskins eventually. Lost a lot of talent at the receiver position. Um, you know, they lost guys like Jamison Crowder, uh, Michael Floyd. Not guys that are great, but, you know, they, it wasn't that Washington had great receivers last year either, so it definitely didn't help them out at all. Um, and they didn't bring in anyone in free agent really at the position either. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you, 5-11, and 11, and it just seems to be maybe one of those retools that's a couple-year rebuild because they're, the, the thing is that this defense is going to be amazing. Um, I, I love, I mean, maybe, you know, a little weak at the linebacker, a little thin, not weak, but um, I, I definitely think that this defense has potential to be great. It's just we got to let the offense catch up, and maybe that'll take a year or two. Absolutely. Alrighty, so now we're going to move on to the 9-7 and Philadelphia Eagles that squeaked into the playoffs last year, barely getting in, and then they, they moved on. They survived after the double doink and moved on in the, in the playoffs. Uh, but uh, now Nick Foles is in Jacksonville. We just talked about him last episode. Carson Wentz is in, uh, you know, slated hopefully to start a full 16 games. We would certainly like to see that after all the uh, potential we've seen out of him. Matt, what are you liking about the? Uh, what are you What are you looking at with the Eagles this year? I mean, it, it it really comes down to Carson Wentz, man. If if Wentz can stay healthy, you know, I think this is his time. This is his opportunity. You know, he just got that extension. Uh, Philly is fully invested in him throughout the future. But, you know, he doesn't have Nick Foles behind him anymore. He's Josh McCown instead, uh, who, you know, is not uh, the World World Series, Super Bowl MVP uh, type player. Not that we expected that out of Foles, but, you know, the pressure's on now for Wentz to really step up, be that number one guy, be the MVP candidate that he was before he went down with his ACL injury uh, two years ago. Was that two, three, two years ago? Um, So, you know, Wentz 
I think a lot of people are high on him this year, you know, have high expectations for him, but this is the time when he really needs to step up. He's got a fantastic offensive around him, a deep offensive line, uh, a great, one of the best tight ends in the league in Zach Ertz. He's got Alshon. They brought in Deshaun Jackson. Nelson Aguilar is a solid uh, opposite guy on the other side of the field. I, I really like, you know, the makeup of this team. They're very deep. Um, and I think Wentz has every opportunity to succeed. It's just now his time to really take advantage. Yeah, definitely. It's a big year for him, and he's already gotten paid, so he doesn't have to worry about it in that sense, but there's a lot of questions around that we need answered about him. What kind of quarterback is he going to be? Um, I'm going to look at the offense, too. I, you know, I'm going to save the defense for later, but they addressed um, they addressed the offense with four out of their five draft picks uh, this year. They took Andre Dillard, a tackle, uh, in the first round, then they followed it up with two second-round picks, Miles Sanders out of Penn State at running back, and then J.J. Arcegui, a white sign out of Stanford at wide receiver. And then back in the fifth round, they took uh, Clayton Thorson, quarterback out of Northwestern, just a guy to have there. Um, but, you know, being able to address those positions on the offense is great, adding skill position players and also bringing in guys like Deshaun Jackson. Uh, you traded for Jordan Howard. They're really building this offense to have, you know, a ton of weapons. It's, uh, it's an overload of offensive weapons for Carson Wentz you know if you were to ask me on a fantasy perspective of who to take you know this offense is just so tough I think there's going to be so many guys that get opportunities that there isn't just you know Devontae Adams like in Green Bay and then you know all the young guys and Devontae Adams is going to get all those red zone targets I think that there's just so much talent on the offensive side that it's going to be tough to really pick who's going to be up and, and above everyone else I know we all expect big years out of Zach Ertz Alshon Jeffrey's consistent. Deshaun Jackson can go over the top. Uh, they've got their running backs. Dallas Goddard, another tight end, rising up there. It's a ton of talent um, around Carson Wentz, and not only that, but they, you know, getting Andre Dillard, and he's not even slated to necessarily start in his rookie year. Um, the the Eagles probably have the most deep offensive line. I think they have. They could probably go ten deep. Uh, so two full offensive lines of starting <laughs> uh, quality offensive linemen. So really doing the best they can. Uh, the Eagles did a really good job to put as much talent around Wentz as possible. So I think it's going to be a huge uh, season uh, for them offensively. Yeah, on the defensive side of the ball, it's really going to be can they stay healthy? They were decimated yes. by injuries last year. Uh, just to name a few, Timmy Jernigan misses 13 games. I know I'm going to say this wrong. Rodney McCloy, McLeod? McLeod, yeah. Is it McLeod? Okay. Yeah. Uh, McLeod missed 13 games. Derek Barnett misses 10. Jalen Mills, 8. Ronald Darby, 7. Sidney Jones, 7. Elodie Nada missed 3. Jordan Hicks missed 4. Uh, and then you had Nigel Bradham, who missed one game but came out 4 or 5 um, at halftime or, or later in the game with small injuries. So, uh, you know, up and down, they were just beat up. They were going to their uh, third string secondary. Uh, you know, they, had, they lost Patrick Robinson uh, over the offseason, so they were already looking to replace him. You know, it was a, a big turn turnover year for that defense and you know they're going to get most of these guys back uh alongside a healthy Brandon Graham um who you know looks like one of the best defensive players uh in the league in my opinion especially on the the outside Fletcher Cox obviously Blake Jackson big forces in the middle uh you know this this defense has potential to be a top five defense uh which is scary because the offense has the potential to be a top five offense and I think the <laughs> Eagles look like one of the most balanced rosters in the league and that definitely hinges on the health of their defense Certainly, and, and also the depth beyond that, because they lost a lot of guys. They, you know, Chris Long retired. 
Uh, DJ Alexander went to Jacksonville. Haloti Nada retired. Jordan Hicks went to Arizona. Michael Bennett went to New England. They lost so many guys on that defense. Now, they did bring in guys uh, for death like LJ4 at the inside linebacker position. They got Malik Jackson on a three-year, $30 million deal. Um, you know, that's a great guy to put in a defensive tackle uh, alongside Fletcher Cox. If you move Timmy Jernigan outside, I'm not sure how they, they work upon that offensive line, but you get Vinny Curry. Um, they traded for Hassan Ridgeway, who played for the Colts for a couple years. Didn't really pan out great, uh, but definitely a good depth guy to have. The guy that, that is pinning on it for me is, um, is Derek Barnett. Uh, he was taken in the first round two years ago with a 14th pick. Um, and, and really the biggest thing that everyone said about Derek Barnett was, oh, he broke the, he broke the Tennessee record for career sacks. And Tennessee that year had a great uh, defensive line, and, and Derek Barnett is definitely a good talent, but he mostly just beat up on weak offensive lines um, and, and kind of took advantage of the opportunity that was there. He also played a ton of college games, too. Um, so he comes out his rookie year. He proved some people wrong, um, especially myself in his first year, a forced fumble. He had, you know, 21 tackles, five sacks. Um, that fumble recovery was for a touchdown, too, so he got to hit the end zone. But then last year only appeared in six games after playing 15 his rookie year. It was six starts, but um, two and a half sacks, 16 tackles, um, you know, in a starting role. Uh, so I, I'm not sure what they have out of him yet. I thought it was a bit of a reach when the draft happened back in, in 2017. Uh, big year three for him to kind of figure out what we've got at their end position because if not they've got some guys that could definitely switch things up and kind of replace them on the line you know i'm gonna be completely honest with you and say it's not too often when i can look at a roster and i know that know the names of seven running backs on that team <laughs> jordan howard miles sanders wendell Small smallwood darren sproles Corey clement josh adams and boston scott that Jesus. is a deep running back room and of course donnell pomfrey who i don't know uh, a fourth-round pick from 2017. Um, you know, that that's eight running backs deep that they have right now, um, and somebody's going to have to emerge from that committee uh, at some point. You know, they, they, they trade for Jordan Howard, which I think is a bigger name than actually an addition. Um, I think he is definitely uh, a suited for a, a third-down change of pace back, and that's pretty much it. He's not going to offer much out of the backfield in terms of catching the ball, um, but you have guys like Sproles and Smallwood who have been proven doing that, Corey Clement as well, Miles Sanders who dropped in the second round, Josh Adams showed flashes last year. Uh, I, I think that you know there is just so much depth here. Somebody's going to, to pan out and, and get a lot of touches. I just don't know who that's going to be. And I think it's one of the more interesting things to watch because this is Jordan Howard's you know last big chance to prove that he can be an impact running back in the NFL. Miles Sanders is looking to jump on the scene and make an impact early. Sproles, old man. Uh, trying yeah. to you know lengthen his career, get a get a ring, um, you know, and in Smallwood who and Clement who both you know showed in flashes last year as well. I'm I'm just I don't know. It's going to be a very interesting group to watch. Uh, lots of different motives. Lots of people. Lots of players at different points in their careers uh, that all are kind of just smushed together. So uh, certainly with with the high caliber offense that we're going to be seeing out of Philly this year, the running backs are going to serve the benefit. Yeah, certainly. And then, you know, my final thing with the Philadelphia Eagles, as long as they can make it through the first 12 weeks of the season, they're going to coast and maybe be able to rest some of their starters come playoff time. Um, weeks 13 through 17, they play the Dolphins, the Giants twice, the Redskins, and then they have a tough game against Dallas. But those first 12 weeks are extremely difficult. You play at Atlanta, at Green Bay, at Minnesota, at Dallas, 
Uh, week 9, you played the, the Bears at home. The Bears, of course, are going to want revenge from that double-doink game that ended their season. Week 11, they play the Patriots. Week 12, they play the Seahawks. It's not easy in those first three months. Now, we expect some of those teams, maybe Minnesota and Seattle, to regress a little. I know we talked about the Bears maybe regressing a little bit as well. Um, I'm very high on the Packers and, and the and the Falcons. Um but as long as I can get through those first 12 weeks and, and they're you know in a good position in the division to at least you know try and, and win that thing out, they should coast through the last month of the season and really get themselves healthy and ready for a long postseason run. All right, well, I'm going with 13-3 and three with for Philadelphia go. this year, the number two seed in the NFC behind New Orleans, who I picked to go 14-2 and two. Uh, this year. I think that the Eagles are the deepest team. Uh, I don't... I think that the Saints have the more star power, and that's why I put them a little bit higher. Um, but certainly injuries could flip-flop these uh, in, in a heartbeat uh, if, if the Saints were to get hit hard uh, on some of their star guys. But I think the Eagles, you know, they've been all the way. They won the, the Super Bowl two years ago. They've had uh, that injury-riddled season where it looked like they weren't going to make the playoffs, and that was a big narrative for a while was, you know, the Eagles are having a Super Bowl hangover. They're able to recover despite all the injuries on that defensive side and make the playoffs. They're, they're a gritty team. Uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, I have no doubt in my mind that they're going to be among the best teams in the NFL this year, and I, especially because of Doug Peterson, who doesn't get enough credit. Yeah, definitely. As long as Wentz is, is healthy and playing back there, I know they have concerns. They brought in Josh McCown as their kind of new backup now after Nate Sudfeld went down with a, an injury. But I, I agree with you. This, this team is going to be great. I, I don't have many questions at all, um, especially on offense. I think their defense, as long as they have good depth and it can stay healthy, as you pointed out earlier on, this is going to be one of the better teams in football. I've got them at 12-4, and four, which right now currently positions them as either the one or two seed in, in the NFC. I have Atlanta uh, up there at 12-4 and four as well. Um, but definitely a playoff team, definitely a team we could see make a run all the way to the Super Bowl. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but yeah, all hinging on, on Carson Wentz for me. Because if not, this team is more around that 9-7 that and seven, uh, season we saw out of them last year. Of course, they, they did bring some talent in there. Maybe Josh McCown can put them to a 10-6. and six. Um, But I definitely think with Wentz, they're, they're among the best teams in the league. Um, so now we're going to move on to our final team in the NFC East. And we both talked about how we... Uh, had the Eagles in first, so we clearly don't have the Cowboys uh, in first place. But Dallas finished ten and six last season, uh, made their way into the playoffs. We we the way we positioned these uh, these division previews was so we could talk about Ezekiel Elliott in the later half because we <laughs> hopefully know what was going on by then. But things have only seemed to get worse, <laughs> you know, with Jerry Jones making comments and jokes, and Ezekiel Elliott not being a fan of jokes apparently. Um, so. <laughs> A lot of stuff is up in the air still, but uh, but Matt, what do you what do you think with the Cowboys? Well, I mean, it's it's that big three that's all trying to get paid: Dak Prescott, oh, yeah. Zeke, and and Mari Cooper. You know, what are they going to do this year? Is Zeke going to be on the field? They they talk about how uh, Jerry Jones seems to be fine uh, with rolling without Zeke uh, entering the season, even though they're going to be having guys like Darius Jackson and Tony Pollard and Jamiz Ola Ola Wale. I don't even know how to say that. Uh, played with the Raiders last year. Uh, they have brought in Alfred Morris as well. So uh, they have uh, not exactly anybody that really stands out where we're looking at Melvin Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler. I think Eckler is seen as a very productive and efficient running back. And, you know, uh, the Chargers are more than comfortable to roll without him. I don't see an Austin Eckler on the Cowboys roster. So I think that's going to be a big hole. Um, but also the pressure, you know, is on Amari Cooper to continue that success that he had uh, in the second half of last year. Um, obviously, he fell off a little bit with the Raiders. 
prior to being traded. Originally, you know, had that uh, incredible start to his career, then fell off, then you know, rediscovered it with Dak Prescott at the quarterback position. Who Dak Prescott's getting a lot of love this offseason. I gotta say, a lot of people talking about how he, you know, has been unfairly criticized throughout his career and is actually very underrated uh, among the top half QBs in the league. I'm not gonna put him in top ten, um, but I think that he's certainly a, a productive quarterback, uh, and given the right system, he can succeed. So uh, it comes down to those three when it comes to that offense. And uh, if if Zeke is missing from that picture. I don't know if I see a path to the postseason. Yeah, and I'm the the guy that I want to point out on offense is Jason Witten with with my first uh, thing. You know, he Ooh. has yeah. Well, he has he has the <laughs> awful Monday night gig, which completely goes yeah, wrong. And then you see terrible. him coming back to the NFL as like a publicity stunt. Maybe, maybe that's what <laughs> maybe he's trying just to, to get, get out of it. his ESPN contract. Dude, I think that's what it was. <laughs> honestly, but but either way, this dude, that guy in the NFL before he left was on a steady decline. And now he's coming back and he's 37 years old. And after, you know, he's, God, I mean, the last time he missed a game was back in 2006. So uh, certainly has been, you know, ready and, and starting all 16 games uh, for the last 13 years. But uh, I probably did some bad math there. 11 years, actually, because he left in 2017. But, you know, he was on a steady decline. You know, reception totals had been dropping into the low 60s in 2017 when he last played. Um, you know, yards per catch has been down. The touchdowns float around three to five since 2014. Um, I, I just don't think that, you know, everyone made a big deal out of him coming back into the league, but I don't think he was great when he left it. And I think he'll be even worse now because he took a year off of football activities. And, and for, you know, the Cowboys, it's they don't really have that that, that many exciting tight ends out there. Um, and so if Witten is your guy, I just don't think that that's too helpful at all for you on that offense. No, uh, <laughs> I don't I don't necessarily think that we're, we can expect anything out of Witten. Um, but somebody who the Redskins, or Redskins, Cowboys, are hoping they can get something out of is Sean Lee, uh, who has been so injury prone uh, over the past few years, limited to just seven games last year, 11 the year before that. 2015, 2016, 14, 15 games total, but then he tore his ACL in 2014, only played 11 the year before that, six the year before that. There's a trend here. He, he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. It's you know just kind of a given at this point. Now, the Redskins do have a pretty deep uh, wide receiver. Gosh, I'm all over the place. Linebacker room, uh, Jalen Smith and Leighton Van Der Esch both had fantastic years last year. Uh, Anthony Brown um, is solid. Uh, sorry, he's a cornerback. Yeah, I really am all over the place. Hmm. Um, but, you know, Sean Lee... He, he's kind of been looked at as the guy who's supposed to be the head of this defense, and I don't think they're expecting him to be that anymore. They bring no. in the young guys uh, like Smith uh, and Van Der Esch who have kind of turned things around for that uh, linebacking core. Um, but I think that you know his health could be huge because that definitely puts up their stock considerably for the defensive side. Yeah, certainly. And I, you know, taking a look at their defense with, with my uh, – you, know, you, you were talking about the linebacker position, Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith, probably the – one of the better young duos in the league. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I, no team is popping in my head right now, but there's a ton of potential there. Of course, Jalen Smith got paid. Uh, top five highest paid inside linebacker of all time, which is great to see uh, from him because uh, if we remember during his draft, he fell so long with uh, with you know some late concerns around his health. And so he's back there. He got paid. Leighton Van Der Esch, you know, not the best linebacker from last year's draft class. I will remind you all of Darius Leonard till the day I die. But Leighton Van Der Esch, certainly a talented linebacker. I think the secondary is extremely talented. The defensive line, extremely talented when playing. They did lose a few guys on the line. You know, Karan Reed went to Indianapolis. 
Um, you know, Dante Jones went to Jacksonville. David Irving retired. Uh, so they did lose some guys up front. Uh, so, you know, as long as they made sure they filled that out, they did bring in Kerry Hyder on a $1 million deal. Of course, they traded for Robert Quinn, too. Um, and Christian Covington, sorry. Uh, that was that was kind of the big, big in air quotes, uh, signing. You know, only came in at, at $2.5 million a year. But... Um, to me, this defense is just definitely one of the best in the league, definitely one of the more consistent defenses over the last two years. I expect a big season out of them, and especially because their young guys are just going to continually get better, especially at the linebacker and corner positions. Yeah, we'll have to see. I think you know uh, the defense has the potential to be one of the better units in the NFL, but it just hasn't really panned out um, You know, over because of injuries. Um, they had a great season last year, but we'll see what they do in 2019. My final thing here... Uh, with the Cowboys is their kicker, Brett Mayer, uh, who came in last year as a rookie, did pretty well, but finished 80.6% 80, 80. Uh, field goal percentage, which is good, not great. Struggled in that 40 to 50 uh, yard range, making 7 of 11 on the year. Um, they're going to need him to, to kind of be that guy, especially if Zeke isn't churning out, uh, you know, those extra three or four yards uh, after the tackle. Because, you know, we talk about how running backs are, uh, you know, devalued in the league. But I, I think the big thing here is, you know, you are on, um, say, third and long and you, you pass, you dump pass to Zeke over the middle, right? He's going to fight for a couple extra yards that might make the difference between a 43 yard field goal and a 39 yard field goal. Uh, and, you know, I don't think the designers, there's anybody in that running back group that would be able to make that kind of difference uh, in the terms of yard after contact like Zeke does. Uh, so you're going to be looking at a little bit longer field goals, just incrementally really yeah. uh, yeah. throughout the year. Um, and that, I think that's going to put the spotlight on Mayer a little bit. Right, yeah, that's that's an interesting point to bring up because that's certainly going to be huge for a young kicker. Uh, you want to give him, you know, the easiest opportunities possible because now apparently exactly. kickers kickers are missing left and right. So, um, you know, my final <laughs> thing, you know, there, the fact of not having Zeke, fortunately, even if this goes, say, into the first month of the season, they sh the the Dallas Cowboys should start the season three and zero. They play the Giants, the Redskins, and the Dolphins. Even without Zeke, I think they beat all three of those teams. Then you probably lose to New Orleans week four. Um, I feel like the expectation has been slowly getting worse, and we still don't know. But if it goes into the first month, uh, you know the Cowboys being three and one is not a bad start. Now they need him, uh, you know, and maybe they can hopefully try and get themselves in a good position because the second half of their schedule is brutal. Um, games against you know New England in week twelve, the Bears, Rams, and Eagles between weeks fourteen and sixteen. Um, it, it is a tough end to their schedule, but as long as they get Zeke by that point, it'll make them definitely more competitive, uh, but they should be able to coast through that first month without him. Yeah, I think for the record, I don't I don't believe that um, he is going to sit out the entire season. I think you no. know, we'll see him at some point. I can see Melvin Gordon sitting out the whole year, right? Um, but I don't I don't know if, if I think I don't think Zeke can stay away, um, you know, plus uh, this team, you know, I think he's going to see that if, if they have an opportunity to make a playoff push, he's going to come in and, and, and try and impact that. So uh, for me this year, I'm going with nine and seven uh, mm -hmm. with the Cowboys. I think they do take a slight step back and they miss the playoffs. Um, you know, I think just the NFC is very crowded. Uh, the, the Eagles are going to be a force, like you mentioned. 
Um, and I, I'm I'm fully convinced that they're going to take control of the NFC East and never look back. Uh, you know, they've got a, a bit of a tough schedule. I can see them, uh, you know, running into some trouble there in the middle. That New Orleans, Green Bay, Jets, Eagles stretch, uh, those four games are going to be very telling as to where uh, the Cowboys stand, especially if they don't have Zeke, because uh, those are four of their first seven games. Um, you know, if they don't have Zeke at that point, I don't know if they're really going to come out of that with better than a one and three record. Um, so we'll see. Uh, what happens, but I'm going with 9-7, and seven, missing the playoffs for the Cowboys. Yeah, I'm going a step above, and I have them making the playoffs at going 10-6. and six. I do think this is still one of the more talented teams. Um, and we forget that they were 10-6 They were uh, ten and six last year, but they only got Amari Cooper for, you know, that second half of the season. And, you know, if Zeke does decide to come back and he gets paid before week one, and I think... I think, you know, with Zeke saying he wasn't happy about the comments, I think it was just to put pressure on Jerry Jones to fork up a ton of cash and feel guilty about it. So I think that's what ends up happening in the long run, whether he misses, you know, a couple games or not. I think the Cowboys team is a 10-6, and six, uh, again, uh, type of team, and I think they get in with a wild card spot, uh, along with the New Orleans Saints, who I also had finishing 10-6. and six. Um, I think they're a playoff team, and I, I like their roster. Um, you know, tight end isn't great, and, and maybe, you know, you would like some more depth on the offensive line because some of those guys do seem to get banged up from time to time. But I think since it's such a big year for Dak, Amari, and Zeke, well, I guess Zeke's, you know, already going to get paid uh, is what, you know, the outcome is most likely going to be. I think this is a playoff caliber team, and I think they get there, just not atop the division. I just think the NFC is too stacked, man. What did you yeah. have for the for the NFC North? Who was your division winner? My division winner was the Packers. I had the Bears missing at nine and seven. Okay, so we agreed on that. The Bears were missing. So you now have both yes. your wild card <laughs> spots full. Yes, they uh, are. So spoiler for the spoiler. NFC West. One of those three teams, the Rams, 49ers, Seahawks, is not making the playoffs according two to Blake. Them. But I two well, of them. Are oh, right, making two the playoffs. Duh, yeah. Duh, duh. Um, whereas I uh, have only used one of my wild cards. I have the Falcons uh, taking one. So uh, had the Bears missing, Packers winning the North, and now have the Eagles in the East. Um, so stay tuned for which of those two teams I think will be making it uh, next week on Tuesday. Oh, yeah. That'll be – that'll actually – wait. So that'll be next wait, no. Thursdays. Yeah. Thursdays, yes, because we have yes. to alternate AFC, NFC. Perfect. We have the AFC East. Awesome. Well, AFC let's go recap. Next. That's Yeah, that's, that's going to be it. Um Thank you guys so much for listening. We got a jet on our days, and so if you can uh, make sure to follow Matt out at Matt Weirich FBB on Twitter for Nats uh, news and and just baseball in general. Great follow to have there. I'm at Blake Andrew Pace talking Colts, Syracuse, potentially more starting next week. I'll let you guys know on Tuesday's episode once that's all finalized. Fun times around here, Matt. Enjoy your Thursday. We're almost there at the weekend. I get to go back to New York this weekend. I've got training up in Rochester, so I'm going to spend the weekend home with my family, which would be very nice. Any nice. last words for the uh, for the followers, Matt? Um, yeah, just rate and subscribe. Uh, enjoy your, your company, as always, Blake. And uh, everybody have a good weekend. Yeah, take care, guys.